what we thought this morning is to go through some words of Jesus. Could have the first slide. We're going to look at the seven statements of I am that Jesus makes in the book of John. And it's really neat because John's after really two things when he writes his gospel. One, what are you going to do with the words that Jesus spoke? And two, do you really believe him? Okay, so it, um, first slide, we're going to be talking about I am. There are seven I am's that Jesus made in the Gospel of John. And each one is very interesting because it relates to us. He's relating I am for our benefit. But where does I am come from? Well, you've got to go all the way back to the second book of the Bible in the book of Exodus. And in chapter 3, verse 1 through 20, I think the reference is in your bulletin. And if you'll follow through, this is where I am came from. It's a fascinating story. We have to go back to the bondage of the Israelites in Egypt. And in reading up on this, I found out that the Egyptians were becoming fearful of the Israelites because the Israelites came into Egypt because of a famine, and they were growing, and they were getting more and more industrious. And the, the Egyptians said, we've got to be careful with these people because they might take us over. And so they issued an edict to kill the firstborn sons. And as you know the story, um, the mother of Moses put him in a little basket because she couldn't see to killing him, floated him in the Nile River. And the daughter of Pharaoh saw this baby in a basket and took him in. And so Moses was actually a Jewish boy raised in an Egyptian home, not just any Egyptian home, but the home of the Pharaoh. So he knew the ways of the Pharaoh quite well. But as he grew up and he saw the, the beatings that were going on between the taskmasters of the Egyptians, because they were making the Israelites do the hard labor, uh, the brick making, making bricks in the desert, that sounds like hot, hard work, and it was. And so the people cried out to God and said, save us from this, and that's where I'm going to pick it up. And this is in Exodus 3, and I'm starting at about verse 2. And let me just read you this. It doesn't take long, but it's fascinating. He looked and behold, and then, so what happens? Let me go one more step. Moses sees this guy beating and, and, uh, and, uh, a Jewish person, and he was a, t a tough taskmaster. So Moses actually struck against him, and he killed him. So Moses killed this Egyptian and he hid him so nobody would find out. And then later, he was called out by his own brethren, unfortunately, and it made him very fearful. So he, he got out of Dodge. He left. And he went up into the mountains. And for 40 years, uh, he was in the mountains and he became a shepherd to sheep. And so here he is, 40 years later, God shows up in a burning bush. You've heard the story, and here it is. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why this bush is not burned. And the Lord saw that he had turned to see. God called him out of the bush. Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take off your sandals, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. 
And he said to him, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. I can sympathize with that, can't you? And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then God says to Moses, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Hey, wait a minute. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign to you, for that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? So here, Moses is asking God, what's your name? What is your name, God? What shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you to me. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So if you want to know what God's name is, God the Father is I am that I am. Isn't that a strange name? And if you really try to get your head around it, it's difficult. Because God says, I am. I've been in the past. I've been in the future. I'm everywhere. I'm God. I am that I am. It's a pivotal moment in the redemptive history. God reveals Himself to His people and comes to redeem them out of exile and lead them to a new life. God discloses who He is and what He's like. He is the I am, the eternal, unchanging, self-existent One infinite and glorious in every way, and be of, above all created things, He is God. So in the Scripture reading, which Yanto read in, in, uh, in a foreign language to me, <laughs> called Dutch, Jesus is actually teaching in the temple, and it gets into the deal where here He is, a 30-year-old man, beginning His ministry, teaching in the temple, and he's starting to talk about Abraham, and that he and Abraham agreed, so why aren't you agreeing with me, in essence? And then he makes the statement that before Abraham was, I am. And what did they do when he did that? They picked up stones to stone him for blaspheming to calling himself God. Well, the problem was he was God, right? That's thousands of years have gone past since... Moses had had this encounter with God. Jesus is beginning a new era, and he's going to tell us seven I am's, each relating to us. And the cool thing is, God came 
to take the Israelites out of bondage in the desert and take them to a beautiful new land. Jesus came, and he came for more than just to take his people out of Roman influence. But they were, they were hoping he would just crush the Romans and then everything would be okay. That's not why he came this time. He came this time to put away something far greater and something that affects them and us, and that's sin and death. And the seven I am's, he begins to show the facets of himself. Think about looking at a diamond. If you look at a diamond, you get a reflection. And I know every bride picking out her diamond is turning it, and the light is special in a jewelry store. If you ever notice, look up at the lights, because they're not normal lights. They're showing on the diamond in a special way, and as you turn it, each facet is a different reflection of beauty. These seven I am's are different facets of looking at Jesus in different ways that show his beauty. He can't express himself as just one thing. He's facets of many things. And so the very first thing he goes to is after one of his miracles um, of feeding the 5,000, he goes to this. I don't know if you can see that, but that's Yanto did some really good job on these pictures. He's, we're going to follow this pictorially as well. This is bread. Jesus said, as the first I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will never thirst. Well, this follows shortly after the feeding of 5,000. And if you really think about the feeding of 5,000, it's an incredible deal. Um, He's teaching about himself and who he is, and all the people are coming to listen, and they're coming for various reasons because he's healing people. So there's a lot of different reasons for why people are showing up. But there were 5,000 people showing up, and it was getting late. So God has a sense of humor too. So he turns to his disciples and he says, hey guys, these people are here, it's getting late, we need to feed them. How much do we have? In the, in the bag. And they go, are you kidding me? There's no way we've got enough money or bread and everything to feed 5,000 people. So he goes, okay, well, does anyone have anything they can offer? And they said, well, yes, this young boy, he's got three loaves of bread and two fishes. And Jesus says, okay, three loaves of bread, two fishes. What my mind went to is 5,000 people. So how many is that? He said, you know, this is a beautiful green lawn. Let's sit everybody down in groups of 50 or 100 because our God is a God of order, not disorder. He didn't want chaos of 5,000 people trying to get fed. So he sat them down. So I thought about it. How many groups of 50 would that be? The answer is, I had to do some math, it's 100 groups of 50. There may be about 50 people here, so it would be like a hundred of this size group sitting down in the grass. And my mind went to the fellowship dinner at Easter time where we have a potluck, and the whole tables are full on one whole side, and there's about a hundred people. So there'd be 50 of those. That's a fourth of the population of Bonaire. He's got three loaves and two fishes. So here it comes. He goes, distribute this. And so they did. And they distributed. And they distributed. And they distributed. And he goes, everybody eat full. 
God is a God that fills your cup to overflowing. It says they all ate and were satisfied. Three lives, two fishes. It's not possible. But God made it possible. And he was trying to get a point through. But that's not all. After they had eaten and were full, he said, let's not just throw the crumbs on the floor. Pick them up in baskets. They filled 12 baskets full of the leftovers from three loaves and two fishes. So what you have to offer the Lord, you may think is small, three loaves and two fishes. But with God, it can bless extraordinarily. And that's what he did. But the people didn't quite figure it out. So here's what, um, here's, here's what he told them. And this is, you pick this up in John, it's not John 3.16, make a note of that. It's John 6.35, that's a typo. It says, then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, well, then what sign do you do that we may believe? That's after he already fed them, 5,000 people. What sign, what sign do you do? Come on, they're as dense as I am. Um, and he said, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And then here it comes. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will not cast out. Anyone who sees Jesus and comes to him to believe in him, he will accept. He will not cast them out. And then he said in verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So more important than solving their physical hunger for food through bread, Jesus offers himself as the bread of life to fulfill deeper longings and not something that would just be digested and go on, but would live on and on and on like the bread that he fed the 5,000. So, but here's a thought that I had. It's not enough for us to see bread and not eat it. It won't do you any good. There's a loaf of bread and I'm hungry, so I'm going to look at it. What good does it do me? It doesn't. Nor does it do us any good to see Jesus standing there talking and not receive his words. What he wants us to do is receive, to take those words into ourselves and believe in them. That's what he's after. That's the point he's making. And the point he's making is if you do that, then you're mine and I'm yours. And that he, he gets to more as we go on. So that's the first one. The second one is, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
one of the, as we know from the book of John, light is really important. John uses this all the time, and he says that the world is lost in darkness, but the darkness can't change its condition. But when light shines into darkness, it lights it up. So light wins over darkness every time. And light is a necessity for our everyday life. For you guys that know how to cook, and girls, I know Yanto knows how to cook, my wife knows how to cook, so here we go. Get in the kitchen at night and turn off all the lights so it's completely dark and proceed to make a cake. That's crazy, right? When we're night diving, we carry two lights because when you're diving at night, if the moon isn't up, everything is completely dark until you turn on your light and then you can see where you're going. And if you can't see where you're going, you don't know what's up or what's down. You can bump into a reef, uh, you could hit the bottom, you could go too deep. All kinds of bad things could happen unless you have a light. In fact, the dive manual says if your light goes out, you need to have a backup. So you carry two lights. And they say if your light goes out and you only have your backup, in the dive and get back in the boat. Well, that's another problem. Where's the boat? So when you're returning to the boat on a night dive, where's the boat? Because in the boat is Kentucky Fried Chicken to eat after the dive. So you want to get in the boat and you want to towel off and all that, but it's dark and you're looking around on the reef and you're swimming and you're looking up to see where's the boat and all it is is dark. Except on our boat, when we do this, we put a little strobe light that blinks. So, ah, finally, there's the strobe. Now I know where the boat is. I'm okay. Well, Jesus is, is our light. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. God's light helps us navigate life. Without His, without his light, it's just dark. Spiritually, there are all kinds of options that people want to give you, but it's, it's His light that's on that boat. It, it's His true light that shines and it, and it obliterates the darkness. And without Him, um, we can't make it. Uh, Jesus promised that if we trust Him and follow Him, we will not walk in darkness. He is the necessity of light for illuminating God. W without His light, you can't see God because He is God. The next is a cool picture, and I'm glad Yanto found this. This is a door, <laughs> if you didn't notice. And a door is an interesting thing. Jesus said in the next one, this is His third I am, I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. Now that's pretty cool. Because you all came in here through a door today, and you'll go out through a door today. A door is a passageway from one thing to the next thing. And the thing he's, the, the thing he's making here, let's read it in the Scripture, and then we'll talk about it just a little. It says, now I'm in John 10, and I'll get to 9 and 10, but I want to start at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow. 
for they know His voice. If you haven't figured it out by now, that's pretty personal. He knows His sheep. He knows His sheep. They are His own. And they know His voice. And He knows His sheep by name. Isn't that cool? A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying. So He said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the door. If anyone, not just him or him or him or her, anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Um, one thing that's cool is we can go in and out safely. And so a couple things I, I thought about here, and it's that God enables us to hear His voice. Isn't it cool if you have a dog or a cat, they know your voice. They're comfortable with you. And a stranger's voice, they don't listen to. But your voice, they know. God enables us to hear that. He then calls His own sheep by name. So every one of us that go to Him, He knows our name. Then He goes before His sheep. He isn't behind them, He's before them. Uh, and they follow His voice. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. You're safe to move in and out of the door because He's the door. And you can be safe to find pasture. And the cool thing is for you to remember is that you, you know His voice and He knows your name. And that... Uh, passage blends right into the very next, which is, I am the Good Shepherd. And the Good Shepherd lays down His life for His sheep. And so the, the gate is the gate by which the, the sheep come in and out, but it's the shepherd who's leading them. And this now is in John 10. It says, I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Right? He knows your name, and, he knows, and you know his voice. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So the hired hand cares about himself. There are a lot of people, in fact, almost most people in this world, that's who they care about. That's who they want to talk about. And that's who they really care about, but not our Lord. The good shepherd puts himself between his sheep and trouble. So when there's a, an animal coming to threaten the sheep, he's going to be in front, not in the back. 
And in order to get to the sheep, he, they've got to come over him. That's the good shepherd that we have. And he knows his own, and they know him. And the, a commentary reads this, and this is, I thought, pretty good. Jesus comes not to pile burdens on, but to relieve them and carry them himself. He comes not to scatter the sheep, but to gather them. He comes not to devour the sheep, but defend them. Jesus comes to seek out, rescue, heal, and feed the sheep. He will do so because He loves the sheep and they belong to Him. This is proven and accomplished by Him giving up His life for the sheep. So that, for Diamond, is a real facet of beauty. <laughs> How can it be cooler than that facet of Jesus to where he loves his sheep to the point where he puts himself before them. It was he that died for us. The Father loved Jesus because he's willing to lay down his life for you and me. The Father has given him authority to lay down his life and take it up again. All that to pay for my sin and yours and reestablish our relationship with God. He is a good shepherd indeed. The fifth I am. This one was hit pretty close to home this week with all the issues Doug is going through right now. And Jesus says, I, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. So this picture shows kind of a cloud that you're looking through to Him because He is the hope. And this story is right in the middle of the resurrection of Lazarus, which is found in John 11. And the way the story goes is that Jesus knew Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and they were friends. And Lazarus gets ill, and he dies. And Jesus then comes, and he, but he's four days after Lazarus has died. And so I'll pick it up in verse 21 of that account. And Martha comes out to meet Jesus and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. I can hear her voice. And she goes, Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. So she's confident that he will rise again then. She's looking through that cloud to the hope of the future. And then he looks at her. This is pretty personal again. Here's Jesus looking at Martha, who he also loved, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then he said to her, do you believe this? Do you believe that? Because it's a pretty hard thing to believe. She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. <clears throat> Then Mary comes to him, and she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. 
and he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And he wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. And Jesus wept. He felt their pain. He felt their sorrow. He felt their loss. And he was deeply moved. And the Jews noticed this and they said, See how he loved them. And Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And he said, Take away the stone. And Martha said, Lord, he's been there for four days. By this time, there might be an odor. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this thing, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. He called him back to life. Why? Because he is the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just say it. He demonstrated it in a way that no one else can. He doesn't just talk about what he can do or give. It's who he is. He doesn't just give bread. <clears throat> he is the bread. <clears throat> he doesn't merely reflect light. He is the light. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the light. He personally, powerfully demonstrate his love for his friends and his authority over life and death. He truly is the resurrection and the life. These are free and gracious gifts. They can't be earned. They're given by him. They come only in and through him. And what a hope that is for us. What a hope that is for Doug and his family. And what a hope that is for all of us. The next, you're familiar with this one. This is the sixth I am. And there's only one more after this. And this is a good one. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Here now, Jesus is talking to his disciples in the upper room. They've just had their Passover dinner. He's already washed their feet. And now he's talking to them. And he's talking to them about leaving. And they're, they're really confused because it's going to be this night that he's betrayed. <clears throat> so Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said right after this, again, these guys are as hard-headed as I am. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Jesus said to him, and I can see him looking at Philip and saying, have I not been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me 
has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me? The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Don't forget what he just said there. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. What a beautiful thing that is. Um, Jesus contrasts himself, contrasts himself to anything before him that they thought would lead them to the Father. He's the only one who provides the way to the Father. But he's also, at the same time, full revelation of the Father. He is the very image of, of God. Jesus is telling them there's nowhere else to look. Nowhere you need to look or can look to find the true path to God. Jesus is the one way. Remember, he is the door. He is the bread of life. He is the light, and so on. He is that one path. He was now here and able to accomplish salvation and redemption fully. The way to God, here, here's a takeaway. This is my speak here. The way to God is not through obedience to a list of rules. What we want to do is we want to put a list of rules on the wall and tick them off and say, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, yeah, I did that, God, I'm okay. doesn't work. Or ceremonies, go through some kind of a, even a religious ceremony, that doesn't work either. Being good in our own eyes, that doesn't work. Being better than others, that doesn't work. Well, what does work? Well, He is the way to God. Believing in Him that He's God. Trusting in Him that He died for your sins and mine. Receiving Him. Accepting His forgiveness. Thanking Him for His gift of grace towards us. That's how you get to God. Only through Him. And as he's wrapping up the discussion in the upper room, he comes to the seventh and the final I am. And that is, I am the true vine. And that's a beautiful picture of a wine, of, of vine, and it looks like grapes, of which they're probably going to make some pretty nice wine. <laughs> and that would be red wine. If you've ever seen white wine grapes, they're green. Red wine like that. I know that because Marcia took me to California once. <laughs> so, I'm the vine, you're the branches. <clears throat> Whoever abides in me, now he's wrapping it up, right? To his disciples. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So I pick it up here in uh, John 15, verse 1. It says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. And then he goes on and he, and he kind of ends that 
course with this, which is a beautiful thing. So what do you do? So what do we do, Lord? Well, here's what you do. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So his commandment is to love each other. That's what he's saying. Um, the, the, the beautiful illustration here is the branches get their life from the vine. It's the vine that lifts up the branches, that supports them and that feeds them. By abiding in the vine, fruit is produced. If we abide in him, we can bear fruit. Apart from him, we can't. Abiding is accomplished through a loving relationship, not through obligation. We're commanded to love one another as he loved us. In this, his joy will be in us, and our joy will be full. So I thought, well, okay, so it's a lot of stuff there. So I, I tried to come up with, and I should have made this into a slide, but if you go back to the I am slide, guys. So as we started, Jesus is the great I am. He feeds us the imperishable bread of life that restores our soul. He illuminates our world with His presence and help us find our way through life. He is the door by which we enter into forgiveness and fellowship with Him and our brothers and sisters. He is the Good Shepherd that calls us by name and laid down His life to pay for our sins and restores our relationship with God and fellowship with each other. He is the resurrection. He is the resurrection, the power over death, for those that believe in Him. He's the only way to God, full of truth, full of life, now and forevermore. He is the vine that loves and supports us and helps us grow and bear fruit. And I thought to myself, what more could we ask for? What more could we ask for? Let's pray. Father, thank You for sending Your Son to us. For behold, a, a son is born, a child is given, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God, thank You for being the great I Am. Thank You for Your miracles, Lord. Help us believe every day more and more in You and how You love us, how You call us by name, how we follow You, how we hear Your voice. Thank You for that, Lord. Thank You for coming to us. And thank You that all seven of these I Am's are for our benefit. We thank You for that and we praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.